0: Hello friends, welcome back. I'm coming to you from a very hot and sunny Dubai. Me and George haven't managed to kill each other or ourselves yet, and the podcasts are still coming. Today, my guest is Rob Bell, who is a mega church pastor and author. Mega churches are a unique feature of American life and they involve huge congregations, sometimes up to 10,000 people which gives Rob a particularly unique insight into human spirituality. So today, expect to learn how spirituality can be compatible with a modern, rational life, how Rob breaks the preconceptions of pastors, why our emotions feel so spiritually compelling, why we can learn insights from our heart and not just our head, and much more. All right, quick maths. The less that your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have, the more money that you keep, but with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce the costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite and you are improving efficiency by bringing all your business processes into one platform. Over 37 And there's a 30-day money-back guarantee, so you can buy it for free, try it for free, and if you do not like it, after 29 days, they will give you your money back. Head to join.whoop.com slash modernwisdom. That's join.whoop.com slash modernwisdom. This episode is brought to you by... Head to drinkag1.com slash modernwisdom for that 90-day money-back guarantee, a year's free supply, vitamin D, five free travel packs, and more. That's drinkag1.com slash modernwisdom. But for now, it's time for the wise and wonderful Rob Bell. Oh, yeah. P.S. Obviously, I am on a slightly mobile setup out here in Dubai. So for the next couple of weeks, you may have to accept a slight change in the old recording quality, sometimes in episodes, sometimes at the beginning in the intro. But I will do my best to continue bringing the highest quality that I can. Peace. Can you tell, for the people who don't know, give us your background. How did you end up here?
1: How did I end up here? I, from a young age, was utterly fascinated with the big questions of what we're doing here, how does this whole thing work, what is this wondrous, strange experience that we are having on a ball of rock hurtling through space at 67,000 miles an hour and in the world I came from if you're interested in those things you become a spiritual teacher, a pastor uh, you help people explore the big mysteries that's what I did, that's what I've been doing for a long time now and I love it so books, tours, films, events um, however I can help create spaces where people can discover who they are and what we're all doing here. I'm in.
0: You could have gone down a couple of routes there, couldn't you? could have been psychology, philosophy, physics, mathematics, public service in some form or another.
1: Yeah, and it was interesting. My dad was a judge for 44 years. So he woke up every morning, put on a suit, went to a courthouse and presided over trials. So so he had... uh, this I'm trying to think of the right word, this old school sense of public service. You know what I mean? Like there's this proper dignified role that you play in society. You know what I mean? Where you you give yourself to the greater good as an act of service. In his case, the administration of justice. So I sort of grew up in this setting where you're here to help contribute. Like that was like baked into the DNA of the home I came in. Came up in.
0: Yeah. yeah. Where are you from? Where is home?
1: I grew up in Michigan, so in between Chicago and Detroit.
0: Okay, is that quite typical to have this wholesome uh, (laughs) sort of... Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah, it was Midwest. You go to uh, soccer practice, although you properly refer to it as football. Correct. Um, You take piano lessons. You go to the... The public school, which for you all, like like the school that everybody goes to, not like a private thing. You just um, you ride your bike to school. You know what I mean? Like there are, like it was, um, yeah. You do your homework. You have a dog. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, my parents, though, I'm trying to say, think how to say this. There was a an intellectual restlessness, an intellectual spiritual restlessness. They were always reading having interesting people for dinner, like giving me, I remember in high school, my dad being like, there's this guy, C.S. Lewis, you might find him interesting. (laughs) Like there was this sort of searching, exploring, endless conversations about the big things that was sort of just normal part of life.
0: It's a good way to instill some curiosity at a young age.
1: Yeah, yeah. And my dad used to say, you know, um, he had all these like phrases that like, sort of get etched as a kid, stuff you're told over and over, like some of it sticks and some of it you're like, what was that? But there was one thing he used to say, the greatest gift you can give yourself is to find work that you love. So, your original question, I at, around the age of 20, I gave my first sermon. And I'd been in a band and the band broke up and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life and I volunteered to give a sermon at like this chapel service and suddenly I saw the sermon as an art form, like a revolutionary, poetic, uh, counter-narrative, subversive art form, and I was like, oh, I'm going to do that. (laughs) That's what I'm going to do. That's how it started.
0: That is not what I would have typically thought of as someone giving sermons i appreciate that yes. my experience in church has been limited since i was in school um i've, I've gone when right. i've when i've had to i suppose which is usually christenings yeah, christenings and funerals and Most weddings people, and stuff yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and also i don't really know what the equivalent in the uk would be I re- i'm fascinated by the concept of a mega church uh, and i want to kind of right yeah really delve into that what what is a mega church
1: Right, so um in America, you have this phenomenon where you could say it's just religion, but it's religion, politics, economics, generally, all these things get duct taped together in certain places, and you get big churches, like really big um, and it's a relatively new phenomenon. And when I started studying theology and became a pastor, there were a few of them which were almost like, have you heard about that? You know what I mean? Like, there's one one state over. You know what I mean? Like, what is that? Um, but then when I was in my 20s, I started a church. Um, so I was like, there's got to be a better way to talk about what it means to have a spiritual vision for life. There's has got to be a better way to do it. It's almost like basic innovation. There's got to be some better way to explore spaces where people can grow and learn and become better humans. Um, but I started this church, and then it grew into what is called a megachurch.
0: So what, so do, what defines it? I was, is it like the I was number always of people? The guy
1: who was like, I was like the guy, sh- like the rage against the machine, like, you know what I mean? Stick it to the man. And suddenly, suddenly I was the man. You are
0: the man. Now you're the man. It yeah. Was,
1: Very strange. I mean, within a couple of years, there were 10,000 people coming on a Sunday. So try to imagine there were 80 employees within a couple of years. So picture like people with orange vests and those lights that they use at the airport to help guide planes into space, parking cars. And picture um, people giving money like Well, you go to a church, you donate, right? Like all these sort of accustomed behaviors people had. And yet for me and my wife and friends, we were doing like a giant art experiment. Like, could you give most of the money away to the poor? But could you do giant art shows where you invite thousands of people to make art and display it? Could you write your own music and sing it? You know what I mean? Like for us, it was this... um, do like a very DIY sort of post punk, keep it lean and mean and low to the ground. And yet, this phenomenon happened. I mean, it was 20 years ago that we 22 years ago, that, so it feels like another lifetime. But can ima- imagine a small town in the Midwest and this thing just explodes like relatively overnight.
0: How big's the building? Unbelievable.
1: Uh, We outgrew the first building, and so I had to start doing the sermon three times on Sunday to fit everybody, and then somebody gave us a mall. So a guy said, I have a mall. It's not making a lot of money. There's a bunch of empty stores. Can I just give it to you and you buy the parking lot? So we literally took over an American mall. I know. I mean, I'm telling you the story like, wait, that's what happened? That's what happened. Yeah, yeah.
0: What's the what's the <laughs> biggest number of people that you've sermoned to at once?
1: Oh, over oh, the whole. What an interesting question! I remember speaking in my early thirties, um, getting invited to speak at like outdoor festivals, and I remember speaking at a festival in between all these bands, and. You know, like when you're speaking on a stage, people may be familiar with this, the, you look to your left, and then you sort of look across the crowd to your right. And I remember while I was speaking, a second voice in my head going, man, when you look far left, and then you swing over to look far right, that takes a while. This, <laughs> and afterwards, you know what I mean? I was like, I think this might be a lot of people. I'm not sure. <laughs> and then afterwards, I said to one of the promoters, like, hey, just out of curiosity, like how many people was that? And he, I remember he said... Completely deadpan. I think we sold 120,000 tickets. <laughs> like like he was a little fuzzy on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think we sold about 120,000 tickets. So I'm sure, I don't know, if. Was, uh, who knows?
0: <laughs> That's insane. Who knows? So I mean, I like, know. again, for, for me, thinking about the way that I would consider like a typical vicar, you know, like in the UK... Like you know, kind right. of this uh very sort of regal older gentleman yep. who he's okay. he's got the the white the white collar um and you know is surrounded by oak, everything's oak, and you've got sort of yes. v- v- very kind yes. of yeah. baroque architecture um that mm-hmm. that like trying to picture my vision of the guy that stands and gives a talk at a rock concert. Is uh, there's a yeah. discontinuity there?
1: Absolutely. I remember the first time I came to the UK, fall of 2006, and I was doing a short tour, and somebody had set up little gatherings, and the vicars that you describe would like show up because they'd been listening to the sermons, or they'd seen the films I was doing, or read the books, and they would have questions, and it was so great because love, like kind-hearted, lovely folks, like. So, um, is your baptistry look and I'd be like, mm, you know, whatever you have in your head, man, dude, love you, but like just get rid of everything you have in your head. Cause that's I'm not gonna have any idea what you're talking about.
0: <laughs> what are the um yeah. what are the what are the preconceptions of a mega church pastor? I know that in your book Everything is Spiritual, you talk about kind of subverting those expectations. Right. People come up to you and basically say you're not what I expected. What did they expect?
1: Right, right, right. Well, what happened, like in the book, when I talk about this, I saw it as an endless discovery, like you're a student. So, well, um, oh, what does quantum physics have to tell us? How about biology? Look at art theory. Look at this ancient text. Look how these people interpreted this ancient text. Um, for me, it was this endless process of evolving and growing and following it where it leads and the expectations of a mega church pastor was you're building something and so you say what you say to build it so you're not growing or changing its stability you're offering people that's how you build an institution so i can i i mean i literally would do interviews and the person would say it seems if i look at your work over the past few years like you're growing and evolving and i <laughs> Be like, yeah, that's the job, and the interviewer would say, "No, I think the job of mega, like they just had never, you know what I mean? It was like, wait, you're a spiritual leader. You're supposed to be the exact same person you've always been. It's like, no, the job is to grow. <laughs> that's that's what we're doing here. Um, so, uh, I just kept noticing there was a game face that mega church pastors would often have like what you say to keep the organization going in the quote-unquote right direction, and then there was the personal life of the megachurch pastor, which was what they were reading, what was happening in their life, and generally like a split, almost like they'd step on stage and have a persona and step off the stage and be this other person. And right away I was like, I'm, I can't do that. The only way it works is to have it be this authentic Genuine path of discovery, and I'm sharing with people what I'm learning, and you follow it where it goes. still that's the only, only game to be playing here. I get it. Yeah, and it was very difficult, very painful, very. Yeah, it was it, it was very very difficult to be in this. I'd even created it, so it was very. I don't know what the word is, limber or flexible, and yet it still had all of these cultural assumptions that I couldn't do yeah it was, it was very painful for a while
0: there I think typically, whenever you have an organization that gets large, anything like a big sports team, you know, like you have a big sports complex that's yes. got a, a bunch of different junior leagues in it and an adult academy and a junior academy and a fourth, second, third yeah you know like when you have that, inevitably it's harder to enact change, there's more politics that need to be played around with, and the realm of religion, spirituality. Uh, metaphysics that is not there is like a you know the um, law of conservation there's like some sort of fundamental law to do with the amount of bullshit that you're going to have to deal with when an organization gets to a certain size and it gets this kind of critical mass absolutely and you're not you're not exempt from Uh, it either
1: oh i love it i mean let's talk about your premier league right now like look at manchester united Oli, all oli has got to do is win games but then is that comment that he made actually a reference to the board? Is he actually saying to Ed, you need to give me more money in the transfer window? And then how about the academy? And there is no director of football development who should be developing an academy. That's why we're having to go out. Like, It's like, no, no, just win games. And he's like, no, 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 this thing has got more layers. I've got more pieces. Um, yeah, yeah, the thing gets unwieldy at some level.
0: It really does. Very
1: normal thing. So, so religion is not unusual in that regard.
0: No, not at all. What does the word spiritual mean to you?
1: That this experience we're all having here, it's dodgy and awkward and heartbreaking and strange and takes all these unexpected twists and turns and failure and pain, and yet there's something just below the surface that never stops inviting you to some sort of new creation. So when I ask people, what are the three or four or five events that have most shaped you into who you are? What people always, people never talk about, well, I got a pay raise or I went on holiday. When I say, what are the events that most affected who you've become? People always talk about suffering loss, heartbreak and pain. And they always witness to something happening in the midst of it. So spiritual, is the depth of life. It's this animating energy that's been moving the universe forward for 13 billion years as it endlessly expands, present around and in each of us and never stops inviting us to new futures and new imagination and new possibilities. That's a really short slash long answer. Yeah, but for I... many people spiritual, for many people when they were told spiritual, they think of something otherworldly, leaving this place. Not, but spiritual is economics, politics, art, earth, soil, regenerative farming, how we care for the vulnerable in our midst. Spiritual is the depth of all of life. It's <laughs> a thing happening just below the surface in pretty much everything.
0: I think the difficulty that a lot of people have with the word spiritual is that it kind of comes attached with a ton of baggage, right? Like it's a word a word which has grown out virtuously grown out of established classic spiritual practices and then also more recently kind of just been hijacked by anyone who wants to talk about spooky stuff and you know woo woo. Yeah. Total woo woo. Precisely, which and when you that's like a kind of a a double ended attack, like a pincer movement of two different groups. One which is completely entrenched in tradition and unchanging and has set this very kind of um, firm foundation for what it could or should be and then you have this total new wave version of it that's kind of throwing the establishment upside down and you're suspicious of the old old guard because maybe they haven't updated their thinking in quite a while and you're suspicious of the new guard because they've been around for so long that how the hell can they know what they're talking about
1: (laughs) you have just done a brilliant job of summarizing a world of philosophy and current thought. Yeah, the one says, this is how it works. There is nothing new or innovative or adaptive, just follow these rules, come to our services at this time, obey. And it misses the adaptive, ongoing, inviting aspect. It doesn't know what to do with quantum physics. It doesn't know what to do with what we now know about the condition of the Earth. it is sometimes paralyzed in the face of the great questions of the day. The other rejects that completely and often rejects any depth. It surfaces. It is reductionism. It is you are just a collection of cells, neurons, and synapses. Get over it. Your brain created all of this anyway. It's just a series of impulses firing up there. But the problem is that leaves a person disconnected from the depths and a little bored and it doesn't know what to do with the great mysteries of life. Consciousness itself, you and I are aware that we're aware. Um, that is the mystery at the heart of the human experience that continues to be an elusive mystery. So there is an integrative path that takes the strengths of both of what you just pointed out, leaves behind the weaknesses, and duct tapes them together, which is what I'm trying to do in the book.
0: I think especially in the 21st century, I'm on this flex at the moment, a lot at the moment, thinking and talking about this particular viewpoint. The value of being cerebral in 2020 is so high that I think it can disconnect us from the, the, the sort of magic that we have around. Now, I'm not someone who is religious. I would class myself the worst, like the absolute worst classification, which is someone who's non-religious but spiritual, which just sounds like somebody <laughs> somebody who wants w- wants to have all of the enjoyment of sitting on a meditation cushion, all of the wonder of looking at the night sky, but none of the discipline of having to stick to any commandments. Like that's what it sounds like I want to do, which isn't the truth. I promise you it's not the truth. But the no, sad That's
1: not what you want to do. No, no, no.
0: The sad thing is that I think enjoying the fact that you can have transcendent experiences even if they're just biochemically produced, even if the only reason that I feel a sense of awe or a sense of wonder or a sense of connection the connection's the oxytocin and the sense of awe' is the dopamine and da, 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 like you can just uh, deconstruct it all the way back down, but it doesn't help anyone that isn't you to understand phenomenologically what that sensation feels like. And that—that that is the challenge, that you, you've got to rely on people who are the best wordsmiths on the planet to get 1% of the way there to explain what awe or dread feel like.
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. There is something about this experience we are having that the intellect can follow it a certain distance down the road, and then it always transcends your cognitive capacities and you're into some other space, which is why poetry, art, you think about all of the most helpful expressions generally move you beyond the narrow parameters of linear logic. I love how you were about to say you're spiritual but not religious. You were already throwing up in your mouth that you were going to be the guy saying this. And yet it is how you would describe this experience. Yeah, I get it.
0: I get it. But the problem with that, that yeah. the, the fact that I have to say it identifies the fact that spirituality yes. has been uh, carabina hooked onto religion that if you say I'm spiritual, yes. people presume if you're not wearing elephant pants with dreadlocks, i.e. new wave religion, <laughs> that you must you must be just like a slightly non-normal, uh, non-religious-looking religious person. Um, so the caveat there, again, is more really just a semantic one um, that, that is uh, part of the etymology of where that word has grown up through the years.
1: Yeah, what's well, interesting, though, if I come, like uh, last summer I was on tour in in your fine land, and um, I was, and I'll, I w- I will interact with all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds, and some of them are rooted in a lineage, the Christian mystical tradition, Judaism, Buddhism. Some uh, come out of yoga. Some are acad- come out of academia, but a sense that there's something about the soul that is transcendent and timeless. Um, There is a common space where all these people meet exactly what you're describing. And some came in through science because they were like, wait a second, this can go pretty far, but then there's something else going on here. Some came in through religion. Some came in through Joseph Campbell and mythology and look at this experience we're having and look at the ways in which people have named this some have just have a, had an intuitive sense their whole life of what you're saying of the transcendence so they're just like just give me a cushion let's talk about that <laughs> yeah yeah there there is a new space with all sorts of people who are exactly what you are describing and it's not weird and it's not woo woo and it's yeah 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 so that's that's that that is um it's a pretty exciting thing happening, I think so. But your analysis your analysis is spot on.
0: Good, I'm glad. Uh, you when... also
1: <laughs> you you know you might um I was thinking when you were just talking you made an interesting point. I do these sessions where people um I was doing them in person now with the world the way it is on Zoom where people tell me what they're working on and how they're stuck. And then I sit with them and, and watch while they get unstuck. And the whole premise is I don't know who they are or what they do or any background on them. So they just tell me, hi, I'm so-and-so, this is what I'm working on. And it might be an artist, it might be a CEO, it might be a heart surgeon, it might be a guy who has a podcast like you. And then they it generally take them about two minutes to explain what, what's the stuckness. But what I think what you might find fascinating is when I invite them, sometimes I'll even use an image like to sink down from head into heart, um, because there's all this chatter in our heads, there's self-doubt, there's cursive, there's the voice of the expert on our shoulder telling us how it's supposed to be done. But you would find it fascinating how many people, when all I say is, "So sink down into heart." Whatever that means to you, and tell me what you find. How many people instantly find clarity? Like it's almost like they go into a deeper part of their being than just that lovely synapse firing.
0: You know what I mean? Absolutely, man. I mean, and, you know, to, I mean, I
1: I see it again and again and again and again and again. There's all this clarity right there in the person.
0: Again, to to drive home the point that i made earlier on because i'm reflecting on it as you as you speak i don't and you don't need to either attach some otherworldliness if that's not your inclination you don't need to attach something in order for this to not be effective and real it can be an accurate representation of the way that we operate within the body to say that if you are able to mindfully reduce chatter like you could reflect it as going from the uh what's it called the not the typical network what's the thing that you switch off when you meditate people are going to be screaming it into question. their into their airpods uh, there's <laughs> there's two there's two systems that work in the brain and um when you meditate you turn off one and you turn on another one that is a um a way that a neuro a neuroscientist would look at you and say this is what is specifically yes. happening in the brain the fact that you have created a narrative you've like personified the um thought process right into kind of words that seem a little bit easier for people to understand if they're to say right i need you to switch off your autonomic nervous sense and you know we we need to really focus on getting the the parasympathetic response moving and we need to blah blah like you know people don't know what that means and we live we live our lives in stories this is something that jordan peterson talked about in a live a live um event i went to see him at he said thomas the tank engine has a face why does Thomas the Tank Engine have a, have a face? He's a tank engine. He doesn't need a face, but we gave him a face because we personify things, yes. you know? You yes. think, yes. You, you talk yes. about your car in that way. You say, oh, you know, she doesn't like being in the cold, like, or, you know, you you talk about the, the cooker in that way as well. Like, you give things, you bestow upon them personalities. Um And I think that, rejecting that, rejecting the fact that we have to use, we are storytelling creatures, we have to use things that are narrative-based. Um, Absolutely. In the face of scientific truth, you know, in a, a, a enlightened world, I think that you lose a competitive advantage there because it's quicker and easier for me to know what you mean when you say sink down into your heart than for you to try and explain to me how the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous response works
1: yes yes and that is absolutely well said and that if you can if if you if a person can read that not through the lens of frustration how come there are all these different ways of naming these experiences and see it as this is like this is part of the joy of life look at how those people name that look at how the scientists name that this poet over here there's a 12th century sufi mystic named rumi look how rumi names this Listen to the latest Radiohead album. Look at, this, um, look at this architect, how this architect imagines this physical space and what that says about what it means to be human. And obviously you have a massive history of religion, some of it really, really destructive and divisive, but some of it extraordinarily helpful stories about how to interpret this experience we're having. What does matter? Is it headed somewhere? Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it.
0: Good. Mm -hmm. Where do you see... And and
1: actually, to be honest with you, this is what happened to me going back to that mall and all those people, is I kept noticing, wait, 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 wait. This whole giant machinery, this thing that I'm a part of, it's actually at its heart about having a fully human experience. That's actually the thing that that I'm trying to do here. Do You know what I mean? And it's got all these layers of stuff. But underneath it all, what's it mean to be human? What's it mean to be fully alive? Where is the joy and meaning and satisfaction? And all of this apparatus and tradition lineage I come from, if it doesn't help that and serve that, then I'm not bringing it with me. It became this like, does it help? Does it? Okay, great. Otherwise, not interesting. But yeah, that was a huge thing that happened to me.
0: Where do you see most people going wrong on a spiritual journey?
1: Wrong? Probably stuck in categories that that it's right or wrong. (laughs) Versus who are you? What has, what's in front of you? What's the next step? What's it look like? So, okay, let's use the phrase wrong. My experience, most people, it becomes way too complicated. They get stuck in their head. And they literally argue their way out, argue themselves out of the next step, which is generally fairly straightforward. So oftentimes they have a script they were handed, family, authority figures, professors, mentors, experts, their boss, that's like, this is this is how you play the game. And yet something within them knows they're here to do something slightly different. So there's this tension. Or they simply kept going and the people around them at some point stopped and settled. Uh, They kept exploring, kept growing, kept searching. And most of the time, that's what's interesting. So your path, if we were going to why you're doing this today, talking to me, I imagine there were key moments when you were like, "Um, I sense this is how Chris does it. And there were probably key moments when you were like, I know everybody around me is like, this is the direction to take, but something within me knows this is the direction to take. And you either don't take that direction, something within you dies, or you take it and all the risks and pleasure and everything that comes with it. Yeah, that's, how, that's why I would say for many people it got way more complicated than it actually is.
0: I think this loops back to what I was saying before about how much we value being cerebral. Um, you know, I I love you, you being yes. a, a utilitarian. Yes. I love the um, the cold comfort of rationality, as Pierce Brown puts it in his fantastic Red Rising Absolutely. series. Um, Absolutely, I, I like the the comfort blanket that having input, process, output gives me because it allows me to try and bring some sort of order to chaos that's going on in the world. But what you've touched on there is a very easy test for people that are listening and are thinking yeah this sounds good mate but I'm not really for that whole kind of spirituality thing. Many of the best decisions that we've made are built on gut instinct. Now gut instinct is like this weird bizarre aggregate of all yes. of the subconscious yes. experiences and the the yeah. wisdom that we have accrued. You know you you're speaking to someone and you if you just feel something's off I don't know what it is. I just don't feel... Walking down the street, you see some guy on the right-hand side, you're just not really too sure about what it is. And if I said, why did you cross the street? What was the reason for you crossing the street? You would say, I don't know. I don't know the reason that I crossed the street. I just felt something was wrong. Right, okay, so what are we talking about here? Are we talking about super spooky plasma energy like Rhonda Byrne in The Secret? He was giving off the, the magnetism that was negative to my polarity. Or are we just talking about the fact that your body is able to sense things that the prefrontal cortex, right at the the front of your head, isn't able to rationalize and isn't able to articulate? Now, really, that, I think, helps us to redefine spirituality away from all of of the trappings that it perhaps had before. And it's something that's a little bit easier for us to understand. Absolutely.
1: You have done a lovely job of summarizing my work for the past twenty-five years. Yes. Some call it. Some call it, yes. some call it uh, transrational. This is the rational and the logical, fully engaged, fully all all systems go. And yet, transrational also allows for those other ways of knowing that can't be measured with the standard metrics and data of cold rationalism. And yet are just as real namely you crossed over the other side of the street something within you knew something you can rationally explain it to me to a certain point and then what you're going and especially the person who's like i'm just about the facts yeah you just told me that you know so-and-so is lying give me the facts on how you know they're lying i don't know it's, it's just a feeling oh it's interesting you pride yourself on your facts but actual lived experience, you dip into something you just called feelings, which sounds a little squishy to me. So apparently what you're actually doing is integrating these different modes that are present within you. And sometimes you're gonna move to that town because the rent is cheaper and you got a better job and you can be closer to people you love and there's a very rational process. And sometimes you went there because you just knew, dear God, it's time for a new start. And spiritual is the acknowledgement that all that is in play with all of us. It's just a degree to which you own it.
0: That's a, and, nice, that's a nice way to put it.
1: And this is the problem in the Western world, and particularly in the intellectual traditions that so prized the one way of knowing over other ways of knowing that you end up with super smart people with two PhDs. Who literally don't know how to have a relationship because what is the data on that show me the research on that it exists in different categories or in the America we uh, you have Google engineers who are the hard like you said the cold comfort of rationalism and would mock anything spiritual or religious but then can't wait to show you the photos of their weekend at Burning Man where they ran around half naked in the desert
0: off the face of psychedelic burning
1: effigy yes saying oh man i was in touch with the universal cosmic oneness it's funny that you would say that because that's a direct quote from the old testament the bhagavad gita the upanishads and buddhism even actually has a very sophisticated 2000 year old way of naming what you think is just i had mushrooms and felt one taste so that's why Anytime someone starts banging on about religion but then tells me about their transcendent experiences of freedom and liberation, I'm like, you realize that in the book of Exodus, 3,000 years ago, they were telling a story to try and name the emptiness and boundarylessness of the formless divine. (laughs) And that's where it gets real fun. (laughs)
0: <laughs> There's a quote from Naval Ravikant, which I absolutely love, and he's talking about smart people. And it's very similar to what you've just brought up there, that we spend a lot of time, we dedicate ourselves to ex- expanding our cerebral capacity. And Naval's question is, if you're so smart, why aren't you happy?
1: Yes. yes.
0: <laughs> That's
1: great. That's great. It's a killer. I man. love it.
0: It's a real killer and it reminds us again <laughs> as well of the fact that there is an upper bound I th- I believe that there is an upper bound on how much utilitarianism and rationality can give us because again there are boundaries to how well we can rationalize our own experiences. The phenomenological experience of being a human is yes. It yes. is it is so beyond what our genes are doing and this is completely compatible with evolutionary psychology which has been a huge influence on absolutely. me over the last couple of years absolutely um the fact that uh let's say let's say that you have got some bad news like someone's your girlfriend's message you your girlfriend that you've cheated on has messaged you and said we need to talk like that's you know I, that's the single worst message to get from anyone but like we need to talk And that sensation where it feels like all of your internal organs have dropped to just above your pelvis and you start sweating and it's cold, that sensation there does not feel like some genetic response, which is you preparing yourself for flight or flight. It feels like a curse bestowed on you by a higher power. It feels like (laughs) some sort of personal bizarre torture method that has been fired from, from some heavenly body that is able to enact bizarre change on your internal state. Like, that is phenomenologically what it feels like for that sensation to occur. Now, you can tell me that it's some different mix of chemicals that go on in the brain, but that still doesn't actually uh, show us, it doesn't explain to me how that feels.
1: Absolutely. and I, and I And what you're pointing out is when the person just keeps saying to you it's chemicals, it's that desire to reduce the experience. It's funny because the person would say, I'm just sticking to the science. But then if you look at the history of science, all science has ever done is show us how much more is going on, how much more complex it is. We we discover the Higgs boson, we get our first picture of a black hole and no scientist says, well, Been a good ride, and now we're done. All that does is just take us into new territories of learning and exploration. So the person says to you basically, No, 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 that experience, we need to talk. Let me just tell you all that was going on there. These were the chemicals, these were the neurons. They reduce it, and what you are pointing out is, Yeah, but that same mindset, all it ever tells us about this experience we're having. is is an expanding thing. It's the opposite of reduction. It's an opening up to all the things that are happening. And that, my God, you follow that, and now you're back around to something called spirituality. Openness, discovery, exploration. The two are not the best scientist, the best mystic, the best poet, the best analyst. At some point, if they do their jobs, you arrive at wonder and awe and you may have gotten there through different rooms but you all end up you end up in the same room of the house which is very yeah and that's the game that's the game to be playing right there what we need to talk i love that example yeah. i love
0: that example big style um <laughs> what insight do you wish more people knew about life
1: that there is more going on in any present moment than anybody is actually aware of in all the great wisdom traditions. Take every yogi, mystic, sage, monk that went up and lived in a cave. You know what I mean? The image they went up and lived on a cave to find the real answer to life. They never, ever come down from the mountain. A friend of mine has this great story where she says, none of them ever came down and said to everybody in the village, hey, I I got the message, I figured it out, and here's the thing, we're totally fucked. Like, no one ever comes down. They only ever come down and say, here, now. Like, right here. Um, And my work in some ways for 20 years has been creating spaces where people – can discover how much is in this present moment. The fact that you and I have made it through everything we made it through and can have this conversation. Like you and I could just take one step back and be like, God, that's pretty awesome. Or everybody who listens to your podcast. You're here. You're breathing. You're alive. That can sound simplistic and sort of yet, No, no, no. You're here. Whatever it is, you made it through it. Every fear you've had about finances, you're here every fear you've ever had about health, you're here. You're thinking. You're engaging. Like there is a mystery to consciousness, an extraordinary paradox that is never not true. And especially as everything feels more complicated, that becomes even more interesting.
0: One of the things that I was reading... I mean, she texted you. She texted you and
1: she said... We have to talk. No 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 and no, no Rob this here. was
0: that was a hypothetical that was a hypothetical <laughs> thing that wasn't me. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Stitch me up from the other side of the internet, mate. Come on. Um one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about recently is the fact that one of the primary jobs that our brains have is not to allow us to perceive things but actually to stop us from perceiving things. There's far too many signals going on for our brain to allow us to take them all in. And one of the arguments for why psychedelics are so successful at giving people these transcendent experiences that are life-changing is that these blockages, the restrictions upon what you sense, are dropped away. Um, So by its very nature, your brain is kind of already playing this reductionist game. And one of the things that I'm quite keen to try and do I'm kind of... This is me rolling on the crest of an hour, trying to talk about what's something that isn't fully formed so it might come out messy. But my goal is to try and experience as much as I can in the moment. To try and get rid of that reductionist funnel. To try and permit myself to experience the colour as vibrantly as possible. To feel the wind on my skin as fully as I can. To smell the trees as I walk past. But to do them all at the same time. Not to just pick on one and pick on another and pick on another to constantly have that sense, that immersion in experience, the immersion in being alive. And one of the things that was really interesting to me was a cue given by a guy called Mark Walsh uh, who runs the Embodiment Conference. And he said, um, a lot of the time when when we're looking at something, we'll narrow our vision. And one of the cues that he gives people is to just allow their peripherals to open up. So you're looking at whatever's in front of you, but you allow your peripherals to open up, and you can see that. I know that's a very kind of basic example, but that's a perfect uh, representation of what happens when you just realize that there's more beyond the the realm of senses that you have at the moment. If only you had the mindfulness to be able to let it in. And when he, as soon as he gave me that cue, yeah. the penny the penny dropped, and I was like, "Holy shit! I'm doing that with all of my senses." I'm choosing to only smell the things that I'm expecting to smell because I live the world through mental models. I don't live the world through experience because it's a shortcut. Our brains are there to make life easier for us. We don't need to make the choice of, what am I going to do with this? How am I going to think about that? No, no, no. This situation's similar to the one that you had five years ago. So just use that model. You don't need to think about this. I don't need to learn something new. <laughs> right. I can just do this. You've right. walked You've walked down your street a thousand times before. You don't need to look at the color of the trees. You don't need to feel the the wind on your skin. You don't need to be able to hear the birds in the trees because you've heard them before, you've seen them before, you've felt it before. And I think one of the goals that I have, certainly over the next few years, is to try and work my mindfulness practice and my ability to be present up to the point at which I feel like I'm feeling more in the moment.
1: Absolutely. And there's something really interesting you pointed out, there's, a, there's a, subtle, a subtle energetic posture that he invited you in that actually is radically different than the dominant energies of the modern world. Because what he did is he invited you to allow. And what's interesting about allow is he didn't say create, make, hustle, force, dominate. He said allow which is counterintuitively a letting go. It's losing your life to find it. And the dominant energies of the modern world have often been mastery. So like this is the thing. Most motivational speakers, as lovely as they can be, (laughs) underneath it all, the message is try harder. It is do more. It is reach within you and... Which sometimes very, very helpful, but nevertheless also can be destructive, override whatever you're feeling in the moment with energy, um, passion, whatever the language is used. But what's interesting is counterintuitively, he said to you, allow yourself to have an experience of that which is already present and requires less energy, which is the really interesting thing happening now so this man inviting you that at that conference is people are realizing this modern project that taught us how to achieve how to build podcasts how to talk to each other across the ocean how to build hospitals and airports and put an iphone in your pocket man we did all this great stuff and yet there is something in that that formed these neural pathways of the answer is always do more. Heart try harder, network, hustle, and yet there's also sit, become aware, allow. And there's a world of wonder and mystery. So being in nature, psychedelics, meditation, I hit my head when I was thirty. I had a closed head injury. I was doing backflips, water skiing. And I hit my head, and I had a concussion, closed head injury, and I was introduced to my kids. So I saw my life outside of my life. And when they brought me back from the hospital to my house, my wife gave me a tour of our house. This is 30 years old. And then they brought our two boys into the room, and I, I met my kids. Even though I knew that they were mine at some like cellular level, the brain was perceiving, and then I would, seriously, Chris, I would say to Kristen, my wife, for for it took about a week for my brain to go back to normal. I would ask Kristen, like, how did we meet? What is my job? What do I do? <laughs> and I had an altered state of my brain couldn't um, do the past. That was too much energy, and past is where regret is. And my brain couldn't do future, which is where all the worry is. My brain could only be here. And like you're saying, all the brain could do was allow the moment to be what it is. And it changed everything for me. It was, (laughs) that was right when the mall thing was like at its sort of fevered peak. And it was like, oh my God, this whole thing that I'm doing over here, there's these present moments that I'm in endlessly because the only place you can be is now. And there's more than you could ever handle right here i should probably be talking about that
0: <laughs> yeah man i mean again to, to yeah. uh how to paraphrase naval ravikant's quote about the hustle porn people like they wouldn't have put the wick all the way through the candle if you weren't supposed to burn it at both ends if you're working so hard why aren't you happy right like if you right. if your work and the volume of work that you're getting done is some form of achievement why aren't you happy should you should be more happy you're working harder like the work should be in service of something which is fulfilling and enjoying so if you're working so hard why aren't you happy
1: whatever that graph is they don't just follow each other neatly there's some way in which they start wherever and then they just divergent. fly off in yeah, different directions. Yeah, gr- yeah. your x y graph just goes to just yeah just get shredded
0: i get it <laughs> Rob, man, I've really enjoyed today. Uh, people want to check out your work. Obviously, everything is spiritual, who we are and what we're doing here will be linked in the show notes below. Anyone wants to go and check that out on Amazon, where else should they go?
1: Uh, my site, com, has all the episodes of the Robcast. We just released a film called An Interaction to Joy, which is about the pain and suffering and temporal fleeting nature of life. And then there's all sorts of sessions and there's a new writing class coming and all that stuff. So robbell.com.
0: Amazing. I'll link that below. Rob, thank you for today.
1: I loved it. I loved it. You had had such wonderful things to say. I'll, I'll be thinking about them all day.